news about Jesus in the face of threats and persecution. His writings and witness helped shape Western civilization and changed the course of history. His name was Paul. Today we begin a series on Paul's letters. For five weeks we'll be exploring three of the most significant writings of Paul. His letter to the Christians in Rome and his two letters to the Christians in another major city in the first century, the city of Corinth. The goal of this series is to learn more about key themes in Paul's letters and what they mean for our faith and for our life. In Paul's time, Rome and Corinth were places of enormous cultural influence. They were on par with what we now know as places like New York, uh, Los Angeles and Hollywood, Washington, D.C., spry. <laughs> Seriously, we'll find that the issues Paul addresses speak just as much to us today here in the village of Spry as they did to those first century Christians in those major urban centers. As a learning aid, we have a card for you. Will the ushers uh, please come forward and assist me now? This is the card for our 10th series uh, in our year-long uh, reading and preaching plan called Explore the Bible 2018. A number of people have told me our church-wide reading plan is uh, helping them grow closer to God as together uh, we read through uh, the Bible this year. And I invite you to join us. Uh, you can find the daily readings printed in your bulletin each week or on our website, sprychurch.com. The aim of Explore the Bible 2018 is to give each of us a better understanding of the power of God's word for our lives today. For each series, we're handing out a card with a memory verse. The first card is attached to a ring, so you can then add all the other cards to that ring and keep them together. If you need the series one card and ring or the cards for any of the previous uh, series, you can get whatever you need at the Welcome Center right after worship this morning. Uh, collect all 15 cards and use them to help you Keep God's word in your heart. The memory verse for our series that begins today is Romans chapter 12, uh, verse 2. It's printed on the back of your card. Uh, looks like just about everyone has one. I'll just wait a, a moment longer, and then we'll read it aloud uh, together. So Romans chapter 12, uh, verse 2, there on the back of your card. Let's read these words aloud together now. Do not conform to the pattern of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. I encourage you to learn those words uh, by heart this week. We'll say them together by memory uh, in worship uh, next Sunday. I'm serious. <laughs> Summer homework. 
But these words are so important because they remind us of God's call on our lives. I, I can't tell you how often people will come to me and, uh, and, and say something like this. You know, I'm trying to figure out what God wants me to do. And it could be a big decision. It could be something not as big. But on a pretty regular basis, I think we're, we're, we're looking for, searching for, you know, God's purposes, right? God's purposes for our lives. God's will for our lives. And these words from our memory verse for this series, remind us that we're not to be conformed to the pattern of this world, but to be transformed. And as you are transformed, you can discover God's will for your life, God's will for your life as a whole, and also God's will for a particular area of life, maybe a, a question you're facing or a decision before you. The Lord wants to guide you, and the way for you to receive his guidance is not to be conformed to the pattern of the world, but to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I want to talk to you today about how to find peace and hope. That's part of this, this transformation that Paul's talking about. It's actually what he discovered, peace and hope, as he was transformed by Jesus. We all need peace and hope. We hunger for peace and hope. What, what are they? And where can we find them? When we hear the word peace, we might think of uh, calm external circumstances like peace between countries or peace uh, between people, peace in our relationships. That's one type of peace and it's important. But there's a deeper peace not dependent on external factors. And this peace is more than the absence of conflict, uh, struggle, or, or tension. It is the presence of God. Hope is more than wishful thinking. I could say, I hope the Orioles will win the World Series next season. It's not going to happen. The kind of hope I'm talking about, the hope our souls desire, is more than wishful thinking. It's a guarantee of what is to come. It's a guarantee grounded in the promises of God. That is the hope and peace uh, Paul is writing about because he has found that peace and that hope. And he wants the same to be true for us, too. So here's the key point. Jesus gives us peace and hope. If you don't get this, you could spend your entire life looking for that deep peace and enduring hope, but still come up empty. In Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection, you and I can find the deepest possible peace and hope. To tell us why, Paul points to the central symbol of the Christian faith, the cross of Jesus. God has taken this instrument of torture and shame and transformed it into something powerful and even beautiful for us, to secure for us peace and hope. Paul writes that Jesus was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life 
for our justification. In other words, to restore and heal our relationship with God. We are made right with God, not by anything we do, but by what Jesus has done for us, especially in his sacrificial, self-giving love shown on the cross. Justification is God's work for us in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. The cross shows us that no suffering, no sin, no power of any sort, not even death, can separate us from God's love for us in Jesus. Jesus has won the victory for us. The way for us to share in that eternal victory is simply for us to trust in him, to believe in him, and entrust our lives to him. So Paul writes, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. What Jesus has done for us on the cross gives us peace, that deep, lasting peace, which no external forces can take away from us. Since we're justified by faith, we have peace with God and also peace with ourselves. Did you know you can, you can have peace with yourself? You can, you can be at peace. You can have a heart at peace within yourself. This doesn't mean, of course, that we have no more trouble or suffering. It means that because we are at peace inside ourselves, we are equipped to face whatever lies before us. Faith in Christ brings us nearer to God and gives us a greater share in his glory. And this produces hope, the hope that what God has begun in us, he will, not might, not may, he will bring to completion. We don't like to talk about suffering, much less experience it. But for Christians, suffering actually has a positive purpose. Paul was writing these words in the first century. At that time, and in the centuries that followed, many Christians suffered persecution for their beliefs, even martyrdom, dying simply because they believed in Jesus who died for us all. We often assume you know, good things should happen to us if we're faithful. But that's odd, really. That's odd since Jesus, the only perfectly faithful one to have ever lived, had the worst thing possible happen to him, the cross. The gospel doesn't exempt us from struggles. It's not a way out of suffering. Suffering is part of life. The gospel gives us victory in the struggles, victory in the suffering. Paul can say we glory in our sufferings because suffering develops in us perseverance. Perseverance forms 
character and confirms our hope. Paul's not saying that we should seek suffering. That's not what he means. But he's saying when any kind of suffering comes our way, we can face it with courage and strength. That doesn't mean it's going to be easy, but it does mean that in the end, it's going to be all right. The sufferings we typically face pale in comparison to the physical persecution Paul and other Christians endured. But our sufferings are real and, and they can be difficult. Perhaps it's the emotional suffering of grief, loss, or disappointment. Or maybe it's suffering related to uh, physical health uh, for someone else or for yourself. Like the suffering associated with declining health Last year, Molly's grandmother moved to an assisted living facility here in York County. She turns 94 on Thursday, really a remarkable person, led a beautiful life. In recent weeks, we've seen, and she's even begun to see too, that her physical health has declined considerably. Last week, she moved to skilled care because she now requires a higher level of care. She had hoped to stay in her apartment longer, but she said she knows it's time. It's not easy to face suffering or to walk with others in their suffering. But think about these questions. Are there people you know who are suffering now, suffering in one form or another? Chances are there are. And then the big question, how can you walk alongside them? Not that you have to think you, you know, you're required to save the day and, and el eliminate all the problems, which of course we can't do, but how can you walk alongside the people in your life who are suffering in one way or another right now? For every one of us suffering in one form or another, is unavoidable. Yet, and this makes all the difference, in Jesus we have a Savior who suffers too. His suffering is redemptive. By his suffering we are made whole. Paul sees suffering in this larger perspective. He writes, we glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Last week, we got lots of rain. More rain, really, than our ground could, uh, could handle. It was as if the rain was being poured out from the sky for days at a time. That was not a good time to learn, as I did, that the car umbrella was nowhere to be found. <laughs> of course, I didn't realize that until I had already reached my destination. So I had to make a mad dash. 
I ran through the rain. It, it was not a very long distance, but I got soaked as the rain came down. It, it was as if it was being poured out from the sky, from buckets, and I got drenched. Paul talks about how God's love has been poured out into our hearts. The Greek word Paul uses implies being soaked, saturated, immersed. God has drenched us in his love. I have here a picture. Whoops. Now everybody's awake. With uh, water and then an empty glass. Now, the glass is empty, but what happens to the water if I do this? Where's the water now? It's in the glass. It's in the glass. Where's the water now? <laughs> it's in me. Jesus says, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Where is God's love? It's in us. It's in our hearts. Hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts through the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. God does not let us down because he's given us the ultimate gift, his love. How do we know that? Well, Paul tells us. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Jesus died for us. This is the measure of his love for us. As Jesus says, greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. That is what he has done for every one of us and for you individually. Laid down his life for us and for you, for me. Hero is an overused word, but Arnold Beltram was a hero. In March of this year, he made a heroic sacrifice to set someone else free. He was a French police officer who willingly took the place of a hostage during a standoff with a rampaging gunman at a supermarket. The terrorist had taken hostages. Beltrame was one of the first officers to respond. Police negotiated with the gunman to release the hostages. And Beltram was the one who offered himself in place of the final hostage. I think it's the considered and deliberate nature of Lieutenant 
Colonel Beltram's sacrifice that I find so striking. It wasn't that he rushed in like an action hero, shooting the killer and losing his life in the process, which would have been impressive enough. He walked into danger and freely offered himself as a substitute for the hostage. Beltram understood Jesus' words. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. He knew those words because he knew their source. He knew Jesus. He had had a, a conversion experience as an adult and was received into the Catholic Church. He was a faithful follower of Jesus as he demonstrated in his life and in his extraordinary death. In an even more amazing way, Jesus died for us while we were still ungodly, while we were in the wrong and were totally undeserving. That's the sign of his redemptive love for us. Jesus is not just a good person who suffered unjustly. By his death and resurrection, Jesus makes our dead souls alive again. He has risen from the dead. He alone is the way, the truth, and the life to all who receive him, who believe in his name. He gives power to become children of God. Jesus gives us his peace. He gives us hope. Peace and hope that the world can neither give nor take away. Peace and hope for you each day, each moment, and forever. Peace and hope in Jesus for us all. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, you laid down your life for us, that we would be set free. How can we ever thank you? May these words be true for each of us. I place my trust in you. Fill me with your peace and hope. Let your will be done in my life. We pray in Jesus' name. And as he taught us, now we pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name.